Dear Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to, to die for our sins on the cross. We owed a debt we couldn't pay. And he paid it for us. He provided for us a means to reconcile with you in heaven. Because we had no hope. He became our hope. Because we had no way, he became our way. Because we had no life, he became our life. And Lord, you... You planned this from the beginning because you knew from the beginning we would need you. You've left nothing out. You prepared us for your way from the dawn of time. In the beginning when he, the word, stood with you and spoke into existence all that we see, you had already planned for him to become man through the line of Seth and Noah and Shem and Terah and Abram and David. Lord, you knew that from then we would need him and you had it all worked out. Thank you for that. And it's in the matchless king's name we pray. Amen. Thank you, worship team. What a wonderful song. What a wonderful blessing that that God had a plan from the beginning. It's, isn't it always encouraging to find out when, when you're working or doing something and something starts to go wrong, that it's okay because whoever's leading the charge has a plan, that this, is, this didn't shock them, didn't come as a complete surprise. Well, they may have desired for something to go a certain way, even when it didn't, it was okay because they, they knew what, was going to, what they would do next. It's always a comfort to me to be working in a situation like that. And we have all sorts of opportunities. Some of us are that person that is leading. Some of us live in those worlds where our jobs and our responsibilities are to have plans, to be thinking through things, to be being prepared for them. Well, we are the most fortunate because God had a plan from the beginning. So we're, we're now in the 11th chapter of, of Genesis. And, and I have to confess that for me, this has been probably one of the most fun series of chapters that I've had a chance to teach on. I really think so. As much as I have loved teaching in the New Testament and the things we've done there, I have to say that God probably has revealed himself more to me, the real character of God through study of Genesis than he has in the other areas. And, and that is a blessing because it's not like he hasn't been showing himself to me in the other thing. It's, it's just ramping it up even more. And I just so cherish that. So it's so exciting to see as we go through this. So if we, if we look back at chapter 10, and we've got our, our uh, family tree, if you will, that you guys have been studying for the last couple of weeks, we look at chapter 10 and realize, yeah, can we go just to the next slide, thanks? So this is the one that hurts your eyes, but it's a concept that I'm after. 
So chapter 10 is really that part that looks like it's, it's a black or blue line that you can see around the family tree. Chapter 10 really covers that part. So we have Noah, his sons, and, and their sons' sons. And we, we see this family tree going in and what went on with it, uh, a history and an atlas of what's going to go on. So chapter 10 was really giving us an idea of the beginning of the nation. So we... We started with Noah after the flood and his sons and his sons' wives. And, and this is what kind of came out of that. In chapter 11, verses 1 through 9 that we looked at last week, we, we're looking at the family now, but we're focusing a little bit more on the line of Ham here because they kind of take center stage. But, but we, we can't forget that that Shem's family and Japheth's family all went in the direction towards the east. So they all disobeyed God. Every one of them, as far as we can tell, the whole family disobeyed God. And instead of dispersing to the ends of the earth, which God had asked for them to do, they actually went to the east to build a big city under the direction of Nimrod and to make a name for themselves. So, so even though... We know that the line of the Messiah is going to come through Shem and the line of the Gentiles, which we're part of, comes through Japheth. Everything in the Bible tells us that they actually all went together. So there was a group disobedience even at this stage. And I think what's so important of recognizing this is that God's not dependent upon us making all the right choices. Right? So we heard it from R.J., one of the things keeping him from getting baptized was this fear of, I've got to make every right choice from now on. Well, I think God would desire that of us. He would like for us to make every right choice from the moment we claim Christ as our Savior. He recognizes we won't. But there's a plan for that. And it's, it's not that it's best, but God's not going to be thwarted by that. God is not limited by us. He wasn't limited by Noah. He wasn't limited by Shem and Japheth or Nimrod. In fact, he used those things in order to to set up the stage to to show what we're going to talk about today and what Dan's going to be teaching as we move on in Genesis chapter 12 with Abraham. So it's a great thing. God knew this. God didn't watch these guys go to the east and say, well, I'll be darned. Didn't see that one coming. He had a plan. He knew what he was going to do the whole time. So chapter 11, verses 1 through 9, we get a close-up look of the family of Noah and, and, and just that kind of zeroing in on things and recognizing they just didn't quite get it right. But it wasn't a problem. He had a plan and a way to go. So his plan was to disperse them. And so he dispersed them. And we saw in chapter 10 how he dispersed them and how every nation and every tongue was moved into a direction where they were supposed to go. So Japheth and his family went to the north and to the northwest, up on the northern side of the Mediterranean and dispersed from there. Shem and Ham's family sort of interspersed, but they moved out from the area uh, that they were in of Babylon. So they, they dispersed out of that, but they, they sort of were interconnected. And this is going to be important for much of Genesis, understanding this and recognizing that God purposefully kept those families sort of intertwined while his desire was for the family of Shem to keep themselves separate. He gave them the opportunity to have free will. 
And we're going to see the whole concept of free will played out in the whole story of salvation. He wanted them to maintain an identity. But they didn't do that. And we're going to watch how that worked. So Shem and Ham's family dispersed, but they sort of stayed in the same general areas. And then we're also going to find out here, as we finish up chapter 11 today, that the nation of Israel came out of Babylon. Right? Out of Ur, of the Chaldean. And the nation of Israel started there and moved out with Abraham. So that's the beginning of the nation of Israel now. So God's going to kind of draw us down even a little bit further today. And we're going to have a really close look at this particular part of the line of Shem as we evaluate what God's going to do with the nation of Israel. So if we look at Genesis chapter 11, verses 10 through 26, we're back into a genealogy. You know, we've talked about this before, that the genealogies in the, in the Old Testament are very challenging because they're mostly filled with names that I can't pronounce. And it gets a bit dry at times if you look at it just at the surface. But I'm going to encourage you guys, every time you see a genealogy, dig into it. Because I have been so amazingly blessed by what God has shown me through these genealogies. And it's, it shouldn't be a surprise to us because God talks a lot about in adopting us into his family, being called by his name. Names and families are important to God and, and, and grasping an identity with God. So when we become believers, we claim the identity of the brothers of Christ and the sons of God. That's important to him. And he shows us that because he sets the stage up by giving us all these names. And we're going to look at, at some of these as we move on. These verses of chapter 11, verses 10 through 26, are really focusing on the messianic line now. So in, in chapter 10, we talk more about those surrounding nations that, that we're going to be dealing with, the ites of sorts, uh, of all the different groups. But now God's going to kind of bring us in here a little bit. And in chapter 10, we looked at those families that went astray, so Nimrod led them astray in Babylon, and he, he actually opened up for them the concept of alternative gods or idols. And, and what we're going to compare and contrast now is this line of Shem through Peleg and how they, rather than specifically going after the idols, they were more focused on the line of God. But we're going to see they didn't still make it right all the way. It's similar to the genealogy in chapter 5. So remember chapter 5 genealogy, we were going from, from Adam down to Noah. So we went through that genealogy and learned about all those names and, and some of the people there and, and worked on that. Remember one of the recurring things in chapter 5 was he was a father of so-and-so, he lived this many years, had other sons and daughters, and then he died. So after every one of those was repeated and he died except for Enoch, right? Enoch never died. He just, he just translated right up into heaven. Great story. Great concept of how he walked with God. So we have the story of Enoch and Noah walking with God and God decided not to have Enoch die. He decided to come get him and just take him home. So now in chapter 10 and 11, the concept was was more are focusing on the age. So it's an interesting deal here. We saw people living eight, 
900 years in chapter 5. And in Noah's time, we still saw people living really extended lifetime. But as we start looking at these today, we're going to recognize that the age, the lifespan of man is slowly decreasing, getting shorter and shorter and shorter. In fact, as we see with Eber, that he has the longest lifespan of a post-flood born individual that's listed in the Bible, just 468 years. We'll see that exactly in a minute. But man's age is slowly decreasing here. And there are different theories as to that. There's a theory of, well, sin finally took its hold. Well, you know, sin took its hold with Cain. So I'm not so sure that our lives are shorter because we've sinned. We hear people talking about, well, lives were shorter because before the flood, the environment was different. Everything was a little bit easier on you. You didn't have the UV rays and things like that that caused all the cancers and everything else that we see. And that certainly could be part of it. I think one of the interesting things that, that I saw brought up was the concept of God just realized that the heart of man is evil continuously, right? We saw that in, in chapter 6 before the flood. The heart of man is evil continuously. Maybe I just don't want to have them be that evil for that long. I'm not sure. In Genesis 47, it's, we see an interesting perspective with Jacob and Pharaoh. So, so Joseph was in Egypt and his father and his family had come down and Joseph was presenting his father Jacob to the Pharaoh. And the Pharaoh looked at him and say, asked him how old he was. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many years have you lived? And Jacob said to the Pharaoh, the years of my sojourning are 130. Few and unpleasant have been the years of my life, nor have they attained the years that my fathers lived during the days of their sojourning. The interesting perspective, there was a real sadness in Jacob's life that he didn't live to the same age as some of these other guys. It's an, it's an interesting perspective. It will be fun to dive into that more and study that. But at any rate, there's a, there's a reducing lifespan as we go through looking at the, the genealogy now. So let's jump into that a little bit and look at verses 10 and 11. So verses 10 and 11 really talk about Shem. And the concept here of these two verses is to, the purpose of this that God does is to give us records of the generations of Shem. Again, names are very important to God. Name the concept of this he wants to be important to us. And so he lines these out to give us the generations of Shem. We know that Shem was a hundred years old when he became the father of Arapshad, Elam, Aram, Lud, and Asher. So this is two years after the flood. So he, he had these boys, these, these five different guys, and we know that Arapshad and came the Israelites, the Shemites, uh, Elam, the Elamites, Aram, the Syrians, Lud, the Persians, and Asher, the Assyrians. So we, we learned about the four brothers for the most part here in chapter 10, but we're going to focus a little bit more on Arpashad uh, at this point in time. And these are the verses that we would have seen in chapter 10, verses 21 and 22. So we, we get a, just a perspective, but we're not going to look at the other four brothers because... The idea here is God's going to zero us in on the messianic line. So chapter 10, he kind of gave us a broad overview. This is the family. Now we're going to de- deal in quick. So we don't learn a lot more there. We just know that uh, Shem had the, these boys starting at about age 100. If we look at verses 10 through, or 12 through 15 now, 
Again, we're, con- we're continuing on, but there's some interesting things here. So as we look at this, we see that, uh, that in verses 12, that Rapshad had lived 35 years and became the father of Shelah. So this is a pretty astounding thing. This is the youngest father that we've seen so far in the Bible at 35 years. Yet most of us would consider that a fairly old to have your first child at that point. But at that, in that stage, it, it was there. And Rapshad lived uh, a, quite a while, bit longer to a total of 435 years. So he lived to be 435 years old. His son Shelah, uh, at 30 years old, became the father of Eber, and he lived to 433 years. So a very similar age span between father and son there. And Eber here is, is an interesting individual. We really don't get much about him, but we assume that there's some very positive things. If we look at verses 16 through 22, we see that Eber was 34 years old when he gave birth or when he was the father of Peleg and Joktan. Now, we're not going to learn any more about Joktan at this stage because God already has set him aside over here in chapter 10. And again, we're focusing on the Messianic line, so we're going to look more at Peleg as we deal with that. But Eber lived to be 464 years old. That's the longest aged person that we have identified in the Bible born after the flood. Not sure that it has any more significance than that, but nonetheless, it is there. So Peleg was interesting, is interesting as well. Peleg was born when Eber was 34 years old. He lived another 200 and some years to a total of 239 years in, in this case. Peleg's name means division. And we have every reason to believe that Peleg was born at the time of the dispersion. Now, there's a really fascinating sort of sidebar that I've come across a couple of times, which I, I really don't buy into at all, but it was interesting enough to show or share, is, is that when some people talk about this sort of the naturalist group, that the, the theistic naturalist, if you will, they want to believe in God, but they, wanna, they, they, they struggle with separating things out, will say that all the continents up to this point were all together, and, that, and when Peleg was born, God moved the continents apart. It's not that he shifted the people, but there's really no evidence elsewhere in the Bible to support that. But there's very good evidence to support that this was part of the dispersion of the peoples over uh, through the nation. So I'm going to stick with that side because the rest of the word really fits that perspective. So we know that Peleg was born and and he lived another 239 years. And, and, he, and the, this happened at the time of the dispersion after the Tower of Babel. So God was moving people on and, and moving them around. As we move on to verses 23 and 25, we start to see some of the other sons now. Uh, so, so Peleg's son was Ru, and Ru had a son, Serug, and Serug had a son, Nahor, and Nahor eventually had a son, Terah. And you can see these guys' lifespan coming down from the maximum of 400 and, and some years now down to only 148 years for Naor. And, and so the concept here is we're seeing a shrinking of the lifespan. And, and we're seeing sort of a change. And we really learn almost nothing about these guys. And I think it brings up a good point that we want to evaluate in our lives is that we know from for Sarah, for instance, that he was 30 years old when he became the father of Nahor. He lived 230 years. Does that make him less valuable 
than, than Terah, whom we're going to see a, a, a block of scripture about. Something to kind of put in your back pocket and think about is, uh, is it critical that there's a whole bunch written about you in your epitaph, or is it enough to know that you were part of the plan, that you were part of the line? And we'll talk about that here in just a few minutes as well. So let's look at the, the verses now in 27 through 32. So we're going to get a little bit more now than just the names and the years that they lived as we start to look at Terah. So, so in verse 26, And Terah lived 70 years and became the father of Abraham, Naor, and Haran. Now there are the records of the generations of Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, Naor, and Haran, and Haran became the father of Lot. And Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his birth in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Naor took wives for themselves. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Naor's wife was Milcah and the, da- the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and Iscah. And Sarai was barren, and she had no child. And Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, his, the son of Haran, and his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, and his son Abram's wife. And they went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans in order to enter the land of Canaan. And they went as far as Haran and settled there. And the days of Terah were 205 years. Terah died in Haran. So what do we what do we see? What is the purpose of these verses? Why are we why are we there? And and again, it's all spelt out in 27 to to give the records of the generations of Terah, because Terah now becomes a a bit of a plateau, a, a parking spot, if you will, in the Bible. So we've jumped through a number of names and generations, but now God's going to park here for a little bit. And he's going to, to share with us about the whole the, the nation of Israel. Now he's not going to call it that yet. But he's going to give us a perspective of what that might look like. And we see this throughout, right? From the, from the genealogy in chapter 5, God will just park on people for a little bit longer. Certain individuals, he'll stop and he'll give us a little bit more information on them. You know, Seth, Enoch, Noah, Shem, Eber, Terah, Abram, all of these guys will, will get just a little bit more about them than some of the other folks. And, and so we want to... Some, you want to stop and look at that and realize that this is an important point here. Some really critical things about Terah that we need to learn and understand. Otherwise, God wouldn't stop here. He'd just keep moving on and we would just go right to, to Abram. In fact, as it's interesting, I, I often wondered why did he do this? Because I was always ready to get into Abram and Abraham. I mean, I love the stories of Abraham and how things go and what he does and, 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 and that. And you, I wondered, you know... Why, why do you do that? And, and God, why verses 27 through 32 here? Why couldn't you have just done another one line? And, and uh, Terah became the father of Abraham and he lived to 205 years. And let's dump, jump into Abraham. I wanted to really get started on that, but it wasn't God's plan. So what do we know about him? Let's look at, at this and, and we've got sort of an idea up here. And this is a complicated slide because this is a complicated thing. And I've kind of tried to draw this out as best as I can understand it. And, and there, the, there are some areas that we know. So the black solid lines are absolutes. We know that the Bible tells us. The black dashed lines are 
are marriages. So we've got some marriage stuff now coming in. And the red lines with Sarai, they are theoreticals. Those are things that, that we're going to talk about to kind of give you some ideas of what we think might be happening, but recognizing that, that not all of this is absolutely clear, and, and so we may not get all the information we want. So what do we know about Terah? Well, we know he was the father of Abram, Naor, and Haran. Uh, so we... Uh, we get in the Bible, if we're not careful in looking at, at verse 26, and Atera lived 70 years and became the father of Abram, Naor, and Haran, that Abram was the oldest of the boys, right? Because he's listed first. Well, probably isn't that at all. In fact, as if you go through and look at some parts of Acts and some other parts of the Bible, we find out that in all reality, Abram is probably the youngest son, and he was born probably when Terah was 130 years old. We know that because Terah lived to be 205 years, and when he died, Abram was 75 years old. So it's just a little bit of simple math, and we can figure out that Abram wasn't the oldest son. He was, in fact, the youngest son by all accounts. So that's an interesting thing. I always thought he was the oldest son. That was another new thing for me in this one. And, and so what else do we know? Well, in Joshua 24.2, we find out that... Uh, actually, let's just read that. Go to Joshua chapter 24. And we're going to pick this up in verse 1. So Joshua 24. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel and for their heads and their judges and their officers. And they presented themselves before God. So he's drawing all these people together to pass on some very, very important information for them. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, From ancient times your fathers lived beyond the river, namely Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Naor. They served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. And he goes on to give some more genealogy here. And to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and to Esau I gave Mount Seir to possess it. But Jacob and his sons went down to Egypt, and so on and so forth. But here's a very interesting part. You see, we're, we're going to see a bit of, of, of a challenge with Terah because we know that he served other gods. So this was a man that, that served idols. God took him out of Ur, land of the Ur and the Chaldeans, and, and he moved them up to Haran. But, but he did this with a guy that was serving other gods. And I was really wrestling with all of this and trying to work out, why would God do that? Why would God take this man who was serving other gods with Abraham, whom we know is going to be the father of, of Israel. Why would he do that? That just didn't make sense. Why would he bring along this baggage? Well, I, the best I can tell, he didn't actually want to. The plan was not to bring Terah with him. In fact, as, if you, as Dan will cover more in chapter 12, Lord... God says to Abraham in verse 1, Go from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. I think it's pretty clear that God's plan was not to bring him along. That God's plan was for Abram and Sarai to strike out on their own and not have the baggage following them of Terah who was serving other gods. 
But yet it's interesting when you see and you think about the fact that, that, that Terah went with them. He uprooted everything he had in Ur, left one son dead, left another son behind. And with Abram and Sarai and Lot, they moved on northwest towards, towards Haran. And, and you think, wow, what an interesting perspective. He was well over probably now 180, 190. He could have been as far as 200 years old by now. We really don't know when they left. We just know they left sometime when Abraham was an adult. And before Terah was 205 years old. And he uprooted everything and went. There must have been something when Abraham came back to him and told his family, God spoke to me and said, move on. That he said, I'm going with you. I want to be part of that. Even though I'm old, even though I'm infirm, I want to go and be part of that. So interesting perspective. I don't really know the answer, but I do know that there were issues with him. And he carried baggage with him. And some of that baggage could have gone on to cause problems with Lot. So we're going to, that will come on later in Genesis. So he moved on. He went with Abram and they, and they went forward. Now Abram and Nahor took wives for themselves. This is while they're still in Ur. And the name of Abram's wife was Sarai. Now we all get that part, right? We remember that. She becomes Sarah. Abram becomes Abraham. But where did Sarai come from? And, and I was fascinated by that because we, we read, we talked last week about the idea that, that, uh, that Abraham and others were very careful to take wives from the line of Shem, not from the line of Ham. Remember, they're all interspersed, so that could have easily happened. It would have been more difficult for them to take wives in the line of Japheth because they had moved out by now. So I said, where does she come from? Well, there's, there's an interesting part here in verse 29 where it talks about Naor and his wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, so his brother's daughter, and the father, so Haran was the father of Milcah, and Iscah. Well, there's a number of people who will present that Iscah really was Sarai. So she went through multiple name changes, Iscah to Sarai to Sarah. And there's some logic behind that because... She's from the line of Shem, and, and so that would be reasonable. But it just doesn't really fit why God would have given Sarai here and, and, and Iska there. And especially if you look at Genesis chapter 20, verses 10 through 13, I think we really get a glimpse on where Sarai came from, and it wasn't through, through the, the brother Haran. So in Genesis chapter 20, 10, Abraham's going through Egypt. And he's moving along. Actually, he's gone, had a couple of issues. And, and he has gone through, and, and the king of Bimelech, in, in the country they're going through, looks at Sarah and says, Ah, oh, it's a beautiful woman. And I think I'll take her for my own. And she and Abram had been calling each other brother and sister. And so the king thought, It's his sister. It's okay, I'm the king, I can take her. That's the way it works. And it turns out that God saves him, right? And Bimelech, the king. And in a dream, he says to him, 
that's not his sister. She's, she's married. And, and Abimelech said, but, but God, and Abimelech is not a man of God. Notice that. This is a man whom God is saving from a severe punishment. And he said, but I, they said they were brother and sister. There was no reason to think this was a problem. And God said, well, I've kept you from, from, from being with her so as to protect you because surely if you lay with her, you will die. Just as matter of fact as can be. So Abimelech sitting back going, well, I don't get it. What's real? So he goes back to Abraham and in verses 10 through 13, and Abimelech says to Abraham, What have you done? What have you encountered that you have done this thing? Abraham said, because I thought, surely there is no fear of God in this place and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she actually is my sister, the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And it came about when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said to her, this is the kindness which you will show to me everywhere we go. Save me. He is my brother. So Sarah this is probably his half-sister, but just another example of God was not thwarted by Abraham's inability to trust him as God and to trust him that he would protect him and his wife as they went through. Nahor and Milcah were married. Nahor stayed behind. Haran died. His son Lot went. And Terah took Abraham, Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, and his grandson, and Sarah, and his daughter-in-law, and they moved on. And they were 205 years, and Terah died. Terah died in Haran. Probably just was too old to keep going, or he probably would have followed Abram into the land of Canaan. So if we look at the next slide, we can see that this is about a 500-mile journey from Babylon, down on the lower right side, up until the, the top center in the Mitanni, is where Haran is, and they made it up to there, stopped, and, and then uh, Terah died. And then Dan's going to catch up next week or start next week in the rest of the journey from there. So we have a chance now to kind of zero in a little bit and, and look at what God's doing with his people and how he's going to move through things and how he had worked through these families. And so what's that all mean as we finish up, and what does it look like? Well, we know that God gave the nations their inheritance. So we know that God had a plan, and he had nations and people that he wanted to go to certain places and to do certain things. He purposefully kept the families of Shem and Ham intertwined, not desiring for them to actually intermarry or work before, between each other. We'll see that over and over in Genesis and the rest of the Bible, for that matter. But he decided where people were going to be. Another thing that's interesting to think about is that we need to be cautious sometimes in how we look at things. So we hear a lot about Shem and Seth and Abram, and, and God parks on these guys for a little bit and talking to them. But he doesn't have for all of us to be a Shem or a Seth or an Abraham. Uh, and in fact, is he has for most of us, if you go through his genealogy, most of the people are not people that he parks on and spends a bunch of time talking about, but these people are every bit as critical and important as any of the others. And it's really very, very valuable to remember that everyone was an important part of the bridge between Genesis 3.15 or the fall of man 
and Christ coming back and being born and dying on the cross for our sin. And from that point, there are still people who, who God will park and spend some time on and others that names never even get mentioned. They're no less critical in the whole juncture of the furtherance of God's kingdom as anybody else. And I, I just want to encourage you all and recognize God has a plan. He had a plan in the beginning before he even started the creation because he knew where we would go and what we would do. He's continued to give us free will. He gave free will to these guys. Every now and again would nudge them to get them moving off center, but by and large gave them a chance, told them what he wanted them to do, gave them an opportunity to do it. When they didn't do it, he might light a fire underneath them and get them moving, but they always still had a choice. They didn't have to disperse from Babylon, the Tower of Babel. They just did because he used a very skillful way to get them into groups that spoke together and he moved them out to do that. Same thing for us. He had, gives us a chance. Do you want to accept Christ as your Savior or do you not want to accept Him as your Savior? It's really your call. I'm not going to force you to do it, but I'm sure going to push you into a corner and make you decide. So I'm going to give you every opportunity to make the right choice, but I'm not going to make you make the right choice. And that's His desire for us And recognizing that every one of you is important in somebody else's life. Every one of you is valuable as a bridge from their sin to the Savior. Every one of us has an opportunity to take what we know and share it with someone who desperately needs it so that they can claim Christ as their Savior. Whether or not you teach on Sunday morning, you have a radio show, they do a television series about you, every one of you is a bridge to share the gospel to someone who needs it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I am so thankful that you have given us your word to study and your word to teach. You are, you are so great. Thank you for your plan. Thank you for not limiting yourself because of the limits we would have put on you. Thank you for using people. Thank you for using folks like us to broaden your kingdom, to broaden your design. Lord, would you use everybody in this room at some point in this next week? Would you make it so obvious to them that you have put them in a place to be used by you that they would give you so much glory and praise? And Lord, they would be so endeared to you for that. And they would be so on fire for you for that. Would you please do that? Lord, would you continue to teach us? I look so forward to Pastor Dan and and, and Abraham and the story there. There's so much there to learn. I'm so excited for it. Lord, guide us and, and, and change us and make us the people you need us to be to do your will. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.